Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. American Partisan.org and hosted by me, NC Scout, best-selling author of The Gorilla's Guide to the Balfang Radio. Today, I am sitting down with a good friend of mine, a guy who I absolutely love his takes on everything. know him as author of Concrete Jungle, Prairie Fire, and the latest book that he has put out, which is Absolute Fire. Wrath of the Wendigo, Mr. Clay Martin. What's going on, man? Hey, brother. How are you? Doing good, brother. Awesome, good. man, dude. Enjoying some, enjoying some fine coffee. Awesome. On this, uh, on this morning. Man, I'm glad to be back. And we got to, you and me, we got to start doing these more often, man. I love being on this show, brother. We do, we do man. It, it's hard to believe. I was looking back through the archives and uh, I was like, man, it seems like. It seems like it was yesterday that I had Clay on, and it's almost been a year. It's almost dude, been a year. It was like January 22nd that you were on. Dude, it's fucking crazy. I felt the same way. I, uh, I I really thought that it had been like a month or so, and uh, instead, you know, yeah, yeah, when you flip around, I'm like, holy shit. But, uh, you know, you get so caught up in all this other bullshit that we're doing, I'm doing. Your, I lost, uh, like, three months this year writing the new book and then just kind of all this fucking mayhem. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. But, yeah, we got we to gotta get on this a little better. We do, man. We do. And, you know, just like you said, getting pulled in a billion directions. It, it's And writing a book for, for you know, all, all the folks out there, you kind of get stuck into this, like, I don't know what else to call it, but it's like a time warp when yeah. you you like you go down the rabbit hole of of thought that is like framing up whether you know, whether you're writing fiction or it's nonfiction or, or whatever it is. Like you begin to um, get stuck into like this specific train of thought and you don't get out of it for right. for a while. You know, until the whole process is over, and it's it's wild, man. Yeah, dude, I agree 100. It's uh, it's it's like nothing else. Yeah, when I look back at the time I spent on this last one, it's just like, what happened to me when it's done? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> you come out, you come out of the self-imposed bear cave that, that you go into when you you start writing, like, you know, like like you you come out like uh, you know. Like like uh, 
thus saith Zarathustra, you know, and you, you come out in, in like Nechki or something, and you get like this long beard, or like Moses coming <laughs> off the mountains. <laughs> like, I, I have written it down, you know, like my book of five right. rings, and everybody else is looking at you like you're you're batshit crazy. Right, right. <laughs> it's for anybody that that, that that doesn't know you know write a book write a book and you, you will experience exactly what we're talking about like you, you get stuck into this thing it's so speaking of man your your newest book which is um I, I'll, I'll before i say anything else i'll tell you um very good friend of mine a retired SF warrant officer who's he he's he's an old hand guy. Uh, he he goes way way back, um, and uh, um, awesome guy that that uh, I, I've I've gotten to know very well uh, through doing all this stuff. And he told me uh, a year ago about all the the prepper fiction and all this stuff right we we were at an event and we were just kind of you know spending some time breaking some bread and uh you know sipping some beverages and catching up and everything and he told me he said you know you, you read one of these books you've read them all and there's not really that much that's original out there and uh, you know I, I had to agree and and you know, knowing several different uh, dystopian authors and, and getting to meet them and all this, especially some of the early guys, you know, James Wesley Rawls, of course, and, um, you know, uh, Prepper Recon, Mark Goodwin, and, uh, of course, Chris Weatherman, and, uh, you know, some of the really big names in, in all this. And then some of the other guys that are coming up, there isn't that much that's really original out there. And you created this whole universe of this this really original very original very unique take and taking something that is a a native american legend the wendigo right and turning it into this like i would call it a a subculture phenomenon which i think is is really cool you 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 have become a paradigm shift in the language that people are using when when they're addressing uh i would say the larger movement the 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 larger liberty movement the conservative movement you know the right wing that's pushing back against progress you know culturally here in the united states you your book is really a game changer in that uh so what was your thought process in in coming up with this and what what inspired you man man this one was uh this one was really weird obviously to uh to write uh but this part is uh this part is no bullshit and you know it's one of the things you look and you think you know is this an action of my subconscious or is this is this something else that's actually uh, it's actually reaching out but that uh that front part of the book was not bullshit it was not marketing uh this really did appear to me in a in a vision type way uh, and I really did try for a long time not to write this book. And that that all together made it uh, a weird, I mean, bizarrely fucking weird experience. And it uh, it actually felt like for once, like somebody else was writing, not me. Like I was putting the shit on paper, but it, it kind of felt like it wasn't my story. Uh, so, yeah, this one was this was very different experience for me. 
Well, it's truly original, man. And and for the folks who who maybe don't know what a Wendigo is or or know anything about the background of that, um, take us through a little bit. You know the, what that is. Why, like, out of all the obscure, like, kind of occultish almost uh, mythos out there, how did you how did you come up with that? Well, that one that one in itself is pretty crazy too. That was uh, that was uh, that was actually part of the uh, the vision, and, and maybe that had to do with the fact when this book was first imagined, I was actually living in Idaho, uh, and we had a, a house on the side of a mountain, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And uh, that was where the, the 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 book started forming. This was actually years ago. The uh, the actual Wendigo legend and Native American stuff is we all I altered that a little bit for how it looks. But in, in the actual Native American legend, uh, a Wendigo was this nearly unkillable creature. Uh, it was usually made. It was usually a cursed thing, kind of like a demon, and it could be made two ways. Uh, if you were too greedy uh, and just a greedy fucking asshole, uh, you could be possessed by the spirit of the Wendigo. Or if you engaged in cannibalism, which is you know, in some ways, kind of the same way. And uh, so the Wendigo has uh, basically an, an insatiable hunger and, uh, like I said, nearly unkillable. Uh, the only way you could kill him was actually to, like, stab in the heart with a silver knife and then cut the limbs off and bury him in all these different places and shit to, uh, to kill him. Uh, so that's the actual native legend. When I, when this story was coming to me, I kind of reimagined it in a different way. I imagined it in that same kind of way but also when i think of the greed and, and that this system that we live in has has created uh you know the fucking globalist assholes in charge or whatever i thought of the windigo being created as a or the spirit of the windigo coming to someone as a punishment for them not necessarily them becoming windigos but their uh their nemesis rising in the form of a windigo uh, so the Wendigo kind of became like the spirit animal of this uh, of this uprising that you know kind of threw off the shackles of globalists. God, oh, love it, man! I love it, and that's a it's a uniquely American thing. Because it is. You, I felt I felt like that was actually part of the uh, this the spirit of the of the book in its entirety. It was kind of a melding of uh, Germanic paganism, specifically with North American mythos. And I, I don't know, I just felt like that was really right to, uh, for the frame of the story. You know, it takes place on the North American continent. It should have some, some North American flavor to it. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. And so, you know, you, you've, you've framed up this kind of, you know, post collapse America and, and, you know, discussed like the resulting factions that have come out of that and, and kind of your vision of where things are breaking down. And, uh, you know, before we came on the air, we were talking about the, the global markets, the global economy, how, you know, the, the petrodollar is headed towards some, some seriously rough times. And, you know, for, for all the people out there who, you know, are the naysayers, I call them Pollyannas because, uh, mm-hmm. they, they're willingly burying their heads in the sand. And, you know, it, it's it's like going outside in a downpour and saying it didn't rain it. You know, it's 75 right. and sun. It's like, <laughs> you, what planet are you on? You know, so what, where do you see us in the the global uh, the, the global economy as applied to the United States 
where do you see us in that continuum right now with the rise of BRICS and the serious challenges that the petrodollar has facing it? Well, man, I, I think on an ep- economic front, we are uh, we are absolutely fucked. I mean, it's really the only way to put it. And, uh, you know, you can, you can look one of two ways. You can either look at this as intentional, which is, is very, very possible. Uh, and you can look at that as intentional because what would happen? All right. Let's just say the economic system has actually been fucked for like 50, 60 years, which it has. But we've been putting bands on other bullshit, gold, and going to the Petro standard in the first place uh, back in the 70s. Some kind of like bullshit, the, the 2008 bailout, some kind of bullshit fix to keep the, uh, the, the tornado spinning, if you will. Okay, eventually that has to come to an end. Uh, so when it comes to an end, if you're one of the, uh, the powerful elites, well, you don't want to lose all your shit. So what do you do? Well, this is, I, I think that one of the possibilities is we're headed towards a dark version of, uh, of Jubilee, if you will. So, uh, you know, Jubilee being the ancient, the ancient idea of uh, once, the econ- once the coin gets so fucked up or whatever, we just declare a Jubilee, all debts are erased, uh, slaves are freed, because most slaves back then were debtors, that's how they became slaves. Uh, prisons get emptied and we just kind of reset and everything's cool, right? It used to work and it used to be kind of pretty much a good thing. I see potentially this as being like a dark jubilee where instead they're doing all this shit, laundering all this money through Ukraine, whatever bullshit, and then they're just going to smash the economy down to nothing and come back with a, uh, a digital dollar that has all the hallmarks of, of Chinese style social uh, credit control, all that shit, but it's wiped out the debt, not of you and me. But it's wiped out the debt of the nation and the people that run it. Uh, so it kind of puts yep. us back on the plantation. That's one possibility. Yep. The other possibility is just that they completely miscalculated. All this shit's fucked up and the economy's going to crash anyway. Either way, I think the economy is fucking toast. Yeah. You know, I think that, that your first... I think that your, 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 uh, your first conclusion there is extremely important for folks to pay attention to, because when you look at the measures, the social control measures that are being taken, uh, Mm -hmm. um, there was a video yesterday that somebody sent over to me and I I, uh, completely forgot uh, who it was, but somebody sent me over a a short clip of a lady in Oxford in uh, in England. And Mm -hmm. the Oxford City Council has or or is in the process of passing a measure that would literally keep its residents in their little confined zones, right? So it's creating this zone. You're going to be confined to it, and you have to buy credits to be able to travel from one place to another. This is the United Kingdom, right? Right. Now, the United Kingdom socially is, is a complete wreck. Um, you know, I, I, my first question was who in the hell is even going to obey this? Um, because if you look at London, I mean, London, London is a basket case of, of, uh, you know, the, the, they, they have acid attacks on the reg. You've got the, the Hindus yeah. and Pakistanis that are, that are flashing <laughs> in the streets, like gangs of New York style. Like, yeah, I mean, who in their right mind? thinks that this is going to work or, or even obey it like this is just this is really silly but when you apply that to the the technocracy 
that is trying to control everything else. And, and you look at how we are in the United States, the I almost look at China as a testing ground for these measures. You know, can they pull it off? Yeah, we, we can do yeah. this with a, a will relation that we already have captured. Right. They, they right. are already a captive audience and mm-hmm. there's going to be no consequences. So now we can try this here, right here in the United States. We can slowly implement it. We can have you driving electric cars, right, mm-hmm. which is going to be yet. Now we can limit. Right. Because the news story came out about how law enforcement is going to have kill switches by 2030. Yep. That, right. That's really interesting because what else by 2030? What other predictions by 2030 have been made? You right. Know, oh, we're, we're no. used to population. You're going to be eating bugs. Right. So we're just going to limit where you go. No, dude, it makes total sense, man. It's uh, I mean, and, and like I said, the crashing the system that we have now and wiping out all the paper dollars and all the other bullshit that we have right now is a huge step to doing that. So when you look at the other early steps that are going on right now, you got the uh, you know the Venmo, PayPal, all this other bullshit. We had to report over six hundred dollars if you made it at a garage sale, whatever. These are all incremental little steps on the way. The uh, the other thing about wiping out the dollar as it stands and going to a new digital currency is uh, not only does that wipe out you know us the peasants, but that wipes out who traditionally overthrows the elite caste. It's the next tier below that. Your, your medium rich, it hurts them the most. Yes. All right, immediately reduces them back to fucking peasant status as well. You can never pose a threat to those that control you because you're never going to be able to. Economically, right. you're never going to be able to. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's something so many people miss. You know, no, dude, they, it's, they it's come, fucking huge. Miss it. It's uh, it's massive. You know, even just on a personal note, uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife's uh, bank had an update, if you will. They updated their little, you know, all their little bullshit system, their little app or whatever. Well, they fucked up or, you know, they fucked up for them. Uh, basically, they destroyed everybody's ability to access their accounts just for like a week, week and a half. Uh, my wife went to the bank because that's where you had to go to get it fixed. And there was like a line all the way around the lobby and out the door. So that was like a small scale thing. And we're not even on a digital currency yet. You know, we, you and I still theoretically get paid in dollars, but, uh, you know, just for that brief period of time, like she was absolutely fucked. And if we hadn't had a second bank account, uh, that that's mine that we could access to pay our bills and stuff, they had, you know, just for a minute, there, absolute complete control by accident. You look at things like that and you think, was this an accident or was this a test run? Uh, because it's not that difficult to, to imagine. Right. It, well, and in, in, in this era in which we live, it's not unreasonable to come to that conclusion that, that, that right. yeah, this, this is a test run. You know, they, they're going to freeze your accounts. When when we have the Patriot Act and the USA Freedom Act, which which is even more draconian, it, it never really gets talked about. But that one's even more draconian. And we we've weaponized the IRS. You know, you got to understand that the the IRS's greatest success story was going after Al Capone. They were able to put Al Capone away when no other law enforcement agency at the federal level could do it. They couldn't do it. So they had him on tax. That's how they put him away. 
And so when when they say that we can come after this guy with this power, right? They're going to come after mm-hmm. all of us too. And and you know what's the difference? This is a question that that I've always pondered. What's the difference between organized crime, quote unquote, and government? Oh, dude, what's absolutely none. Difference? Absolutely none. Uh, yeah, I've gotten to be uh, good friends with uh, Tucker Max over the last year, and uh, his favorite saying is that uh, you pay protection money to men with guns, some way or another. Be that, you know, the mafia or the government. It's the same fucking thing. Uh, And he's right. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. Because they have that coercive means. You know, why is it that that the IRS has, you know, they hired, allegedly hired 87,000 agents and they bought all these munitions and these guns. Now, we've both seen the videos, uh, the training (laughs) videos, which I think. May have been a psyop. Uh, I, <laughs> I fucking hope so. Holy shit. It's Holy hard. shit. Like, on, on one hand, it's hard for me to believe that they hired people that were that worthless. But on right. the other hand, it's not. You know, having worked for the government, right. it's also not hard for me to believe. Like these, right. these are the people, these are the same people who would get hired probably by the TSA. Um, no shit. You know, I know, like, I, I've had folks in class that, that have worked for the TSA in different capacities, and they're good people, and okay, you know, cool. But there, there's a lot of folks that work at the TSA that, that are pretty useless, and we all know. Right. Uh, so, and, and, and everybody out there knows it, so in case I get any angry emails. Uh, this way. I work for the TSA. Yeah, okay. Well, good for you. Um, but you know, you're you're not getting the cream of the crop. Um, and and I would think that this the 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 armed contingent of the IRS is really uh, you know what, what else have they got going for them? Um, right. You know. But also going back to those videos though. Did you notice, I, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but one of the vignettes that they were training people on, on a suspect interdiction, and they were arresting the guy, he he wasn't a billionaire, right? He wasn't no. one of the, you know, Bernie billionaires. Let, let me see if we watch the same one. He was a landscaper who couldn't yes. explain why he had new lawnmowers or some bullshit like that. Yes? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, dude, that was fucking terrifying. Uh, yep. Yeah. He, he claimed some equipment. It was like a lawnmower or a truck or something. Right. And couldn't account for how he paid for it. Some kind of so, bullshit. Yes. Yeah. And that's one yeah. of those deals that, you know, hey, we we all know that guy. We all know that guy. That, you know, he he's he's making ends meet. He's not causing any problems to the community. And you're going to come after him for that. But yet, you know, we're told by the politicians, by the political class, including the Bernie Sanders and the AOCs of the world, right? Because they're all con men too, okay? Right. You know, for any, any of the, the Bernie bros out there that think that, you know, you're not getting conned into something, you're you're the worst mark in the world. You are the worst mark in the world because they know they got you livestock. You know, Bernie became a multi-multi-millionaire off of his con operation, you know, and a barista with a, a worthless 
economics degree. The, the, the girl can't even tell you the difference between Keynesian and Austrian economics, but she got an economics degree from Columbia University. And you mean to tell and and she's working as a barista. You, you mean to tell me that this is this is the epitome of leftist thought in America? People are useless. You know, I don't know. Sorry, sorry for the little rant there. But, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I give it to the Republicans just as bad, man. The fucking Mitch McConnell's of the world. I mean, that actually actually brings up a very good point, man. Uh, And this one just happened. Uh, This is actually a a hardship. I feel like it's an important one. So, I mean, the Republicans are fucking useless. Here was a funny thing that happened. I bring this up because we haven't talked in so long. A lot of dudes that I knew, man, smart dudes, uh, one of which called me immediately after the election. He was like, you were right, dude. Uh, they stole it again, just like they did in 2020. And I was like, no fucking shit. Like, what incentive did they have to change that behavior? Because they got away with it last time. Nothing happened. Uh, so there's a lot, man, there's a shitload of our dudes that are still out in the drum of, we're just going to vote our way out. We'll just vote so much harder next time that we win. Like, man, that ship is <laughs> fucking sailing, bro. It's, it's, it's fucking over. <laughs> well, you know, I told folks, uh, I was doing a class out in Texas uh, about a month ago now. It was, it was coming up on Christmas. And they were, the, the guys out there who are who awesome, and, and everybody in Texas that, that I've worked with has been awesome, everybody from Texas. But um, just really, really awesome people out there. And uh, they were all watching this clip from a film that was released about a decade ago called The Campaign. And I've told everybody, you know, yeah, and, okay. and they're laughing at it because it's, it's, it's a funny movie, right? Zach Galifianakis right. and yeah. Will Ferrell. And, uh, it's Will a, Ferrell, it, yeah. you know, it, it, that is, by the way, that is North Carolina. Like, like Will Ferrell oh, is playing yeah. this John oh, Edwards type yeah. character. <laughs> Um, you know, like the, the courthouse in the square, that's kind of like, you know, uh, every, every small town courthouse here in, in, you know, rural North Carolina is, is like that. And, um, anyway, man, like Zach Galifianakis, people don't know is that his dad was a Senator. He was a state Senator here in North Carolina. And I mean, you know, he's, he's a liberal guy and I get it, but, um, it, you know, he, he still lives here in the state and, that that movie has been memory hold. You will not see that movie played anywhere. You will not see mentions of that movie. And it's not a very old movie. Right. But they, they will not talk about that. And why won't they talk about that film? Why was it memory hold? Because the, the whole point of the movie. Was the fact that they were using electronic voting machines to rig the election behind the curtain. The whole thing was rigged and they were using the electronic voting machines to rig the election. And the Chinese were behind the whole thing. Right. They memory hold it. Fuck, dude, I forgot. that. I forgot that was the plot. I've seen the movie and like I remember it and uh, and all that shit. But I forgot that was the fucking. Oh, wow. Yeah. If you go back and you watch that. That movie was telling more truth 
than probably anything that's come out of Hollywood in the past 20 years. And they memory hold it. They Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking wild. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about that one. They ain't going to bring that one up. And meanwhile, you've got, you know, you've got Will Ferrell getting out there and campaigning for, you know, Beto or Warwick or whoever. And it's like some of these guys, man, like Stephen King's another example of this. Like, like Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell, you, you, you want to scream at him like, look, dude, are you not paying attention to some of the roles that you played? Are you not paying attention to the campaign? Do you not see the truth in that? You know, Stephen King's another example. So Stephen King narrated my favorite album of all time. It's by Shooter Jennings. It's called Black Ribbons. And if you, you've never listened to it, uh, for the uh, folks out there listening to this, if you've never listened to that album, you that is must listen to music. It, it, it's, it is a wonderful album. But Stephen King is playing the part of a, uh, a radio show host, of a talk radio show host that's supposed to be like William Cooper. And the government has canceled all of talk radio and, and all basically uh, all alternative media, all uh, independent media has been canceled. And, you know, the, the corporatocracy owns the airwaves at that point. And uh, this radio show host has until midnight to get off the air. And so he's he is uh, playing his show up until midnight. And it, it's it's the most interesting journey of music and storytelling. It, it's it's a really unique album, and Stephen King's narrating it. And uh, you know, you take a guy like Shooter Jennings, uh, Waylon Jennings' son. He's you know grew up obviously the the son of of uh, one of the the biggest names, if not the biggest name in country music, perhaps ever. You know, aside from Hank Williams, and growing up in that, and then making music on his own. And uh, Waylon, by the way, was a huge fan of William Cooper and uh, Coast to Coast AM. I've met Shooter Jennings twice and, uh, you know, really, really good dude and, uh, you know, has some unique takes on life as as we all do. And and uh, but 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 a, a true American original, you know, and so he makes this concept album and, and you have Stephen King who's narrating it. And so when Stephen King puts out some of this crazy off the wall shit that he, he he spews out there on social media, especially on Twitter. Um, you really like on one hand we can laugh, but on the other, it's like, man, do you not see the world in which you, you you've had a hand in building and that you're perpetuating and how it's so, in such a, a contrast with, with freedom, with what you, you, you claim that, that you're espousing in these roles that you've played that have really uh, uh, called this stuff out, you know? No, it's fucking crazy, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, that, that, that is also to some degree the, the story of our times and the story I, I feel like of the last year. So, you know, we've got this crazy shit going on. Uh, man, this last year, I've never seen so much propaganda hit the waves as I have since about about probably since we talked since January of last year. I mean, it has been fucking overwhelming how much is out there. Uh, just all the nonsense from the fucking Ukraine war. Uh, 
Yo, that yo yeah. war kicks. I'm a, I'm a war junkie. Yeah, I was following this shit when it kicked out, but it didn't take very long. Of like video game footage and fake Snake Islands and all this other bullshit to be like, man, this whole thing is fucking. I don't even know if there's a war in Ukraine, man. To be honest with you, <laughs> and it is. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. fucking. You know, uh, there's there was so much fake footage. And, uh, you know, just like a couple of months ago when uh, the president of Ukraine shows himself on a green screen and then the, the fucking product of that is you're like, is this even fucking real? But between that and all the uh, the kind of fake crises that have happened over the last year, like, oh, we're out of diesel, all, all this other fucking nonsense. Uh, it almost feels like there's a, a concerted effort from these guys like Stephen King and these other fucking clowns as, as as cogs in the machine to just create so much noise that people are overwhelmed and, uh, and don't know what the hell's going on. And I, I agree with that a thousand percent. And then some, um, that, that, yeah, there, there is because, you know, this is a strategy, uh, you know, my dad being a, a labor union guy and, you know, whenever, their uh, contract negotiations were coming up with the uh, the company that he worked for. There would always be this propaganda that was put out, right? They, there was always because the basically uh, between them and and the the company that which was a, a very large manufacturing company uh, that that they were working for. The company would put out all these phony statements saying like, well, you know, we're going to have to shut the plant down and we're going to move it yeah. to the other side of the U.S. Or you uh-huh. know, we're going to we can't meet our production costs. So we're going to mm-hmm. uh, outsource the labor. And they're doing all that because they know that their their um, contract negotiations coming up because they're, they're priming the pump, you know, right. and, and the labor union would do the same thing. They, they would say like, you know, well, we're, we're, we're just going to go out on strike and it'll be indefinite. And the, you know, the leaders of the city are going to help us. And, you know, they, they, they would they, basically it, it's, you know, organized labor 101. Right. But we can right. apply that strategy because we do the same thing in warfare. Like you've worked with psyops. I've worked with psyops. You've worked mm-hmm. with civil affairs. I've worked with yep. civil affairs. And that is something that, that, you know it, it, that bait and switch. That's a that's an age old trick, man. And you know, I think that it's fascinating talking about you know Zelensky and you know all the the oddities with him. Does this guy not own a suit? Like, does he? I, I've never seen. <laughs> I've never seen a leader of a of a country wear fatigues everywhere. And, and a fucking commando sweater everywhere, man. Where well, is this, this shit everywhere? Well, maybe Saddam, but he, no, he had he had several suits. All right, never mind. Uh, <laughs> maybe he couldn't afford it with the uh, you know he spent the forty million on the house in Florida. Maybe he couldn't afford a suit. You know, I get it, man. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, plot twist. He 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 didn't have to travel to the United States. He was here the whole time. You <laughs> no know? shit. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I'm serious, man. Like, you, you take some of these other leaders. Like, you, you've got Xi Jinping, who is, you know, a, a communist dictator, right? He is a communist dictator. He wears yeah. a business suit. It, it's, right. you know, 
you've got Vladimir Putin, who is, you know, he, he was a colonel in the KGB. He is a wartime president as well. Um, he's rocking a business suit, you know, looking snappy. And right. you've got Zelensky over here wearing a pair of friggin', you know, you know, a commando sweater and, and green <laughs> fatigues. No, it's fucking. I ridiculous. mean, I don't. I it's don't get ridiculous. it. It's fucking absolutely ridiculous, but but uh, no, it's fucking insanity. I man, I I mean, I'm at a loss. And uh, what you know on, on that and totally off the cuff, what do you make of that Marine Corps colonel who um, his name is escaping me right now, but it was about a week ago. That he, you know, he's sipping there or uh, sipping sip there. He, he's sitting there on, on camera, knows he's on camera and, uh, you know, drinking. I think he was drinking Buffalo Trace. And he he's just like goes completely off the rails talking about Ukraine. Like, wh- what do you make of that? Dude, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even see this one. Oh, you haven't seen that? No, fuck no. Oh, what? Uh, he's. What, this goes back to like uh, me. <laughs> this goes back to probably man. This is this is this is actually something I was thinking about. Uh, I, I've been thinking about writing about more. I am so fed up with the the propaganda and shit that I have cut away from like the news and in a lot of ways like social media and and all this other shit uh, purely for this reason. Uh, one. I actually think there's AIs that are way more advanced than we think that are that are making up like magazine articles, all this other bullshit faster than we can react to them. I'm really honestly starting to feel like the only way to uh, to keep your sanity is to cut away from pretty much all these fucking news sources. And here what I, is what I think is the other important point. None of this shit matters anyway. What does matter is what's within five miles of you. What you can control within your five miles and what you can do to influence that area. Because we're we're at a weird kind of fucking impasse right now. We're at that point where, like, the crazy fucking shooting part hasn't started. But it's going to. Eventually. Right. Uh, so I feel like, man, like, 100%, like, best use of anybody's time right now is shit can all this national level shit that you can't influence at all to begin with and worry about your community and what you can do. And right now, while we still have like money and bullets and travel and shit like that, get your skill set up to the point that, you know, you can fucking survive and thrive when, uh, when this other time comes, because we don't actually know what this other time will be either. I mean, there's a lot of options on the table. It could be just uh, just a collapse of fucking empire where everything just stops fucking working. Uh, that's a very real possibility. Uh, it could be, you know, an, ex- an exchange between great powers that pretty much leaves everybody broken. Uh, it could be something as simple as, uh, you know, we, we were talking about earlier, like we are actually at war with Russia and China, even if it's a proxy war. It could be right. as simple as, uh, you know, Russia comes over here with those little commando guys and breaks all of our fucking Internet, all of our power like it wouldn't be very fucking hard for him to do all, all those things, which we could normally survive in regular times because we're in such a weird teetering position could actually be a lot worse and could actually, you know, in a, in a weird way, like bring the empire to its fucking knees uh, because we're that fucked up right now. 
So for me, man, that's what that's what most of the last year has been about. It's been about getting rid of all this other shit that's just a distraction and worrying about what I can do with my, you know, community that I can touch with my fucking hand, my my five miles. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I think that's and, that's you actually know, you, something you have we, a very uh, wise perspective. Right, go ahead. Well, I think it's it's actually funny. Man. I think that's something we actually both touched on in our in our books that came out this year, or or they they kind of commingle in this way. That was in a lot of ways also what Wendigo was about. It was about you know a, there was no like great leader that fucking rose or some bullshit like that. It was a lot more about small communities all kind of got their shit together and uh, and became like you know war bands for lack of a better term. The way that that ties in with your latest book about the, uh, you know, Beofang's communication, what's the uh, what's the extrapolation point beyond that? Well, it's really nice if if I live, you know, ten miles from you, but our five mile groups can talk or have have prior coordinated. That makes us all a lot stronger. It makes us, you know, links in an unbreakable chain. Uh, in in your case, down the Appalachians, for instance. Uh, right. That, those community things start to matter a hell of a lot more when things really get bad. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, because who who is gonna be making up your guerrilla force? You know, that's something that I always bring up in class. Who makes up your guerrilla force? I, I don't. It, you know, that, that was why. You know, all the stuff coming out about Ray Epps now, which is to be fair, right. we already knew that. Like that's not news to me. I already knew this. I already told people that. I tell you, I told everybody who would listen, don't go to these bullshit protests. There's nothing to be gained there. There's the 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 only you have everything to lose by doing that. Your your time is more right. productive staying at home and you know, go to the range, do something productive with other Dude, chop- people around you. Right. You know, Chop some goddamn firewood. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. You know, get get right. out there on that on that eight pound mall and and start to split and smoke. You know, get right. get your ass in shape. You know? Right. Um. But you know the that that broaches the whole topic of uh, effective training, and that's something that we both have have talked about as well. Um. You know, something that I commented sometime back. And, uh, you know, you, you, you shared and, and, you know, your, uh, your very impressive sniper weapons platforms, um, that, uh, especially that, that, uh, chassis system with the wooden grip, dude, that thing is absolutely oh, it's gorgeous. Fucking, it's fucking sick. It's a, it's American rifle company. They make some tight, tight guns. Wow. It's beautiful. I, I have a, uh, I've got a couple of Remington 700s. One's nice. in a Benton Carlson M40 uh, metal nice. stock, and the other one's in a, um, a McMillan stock. But they're, I mean, they, they both take Accuracy International mags, and, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're they're nice setups. But I'm kind of, um, now that I have a chassis rifle from Dave Lauk, it's yeah. like, man, I kind of, I kind of need to bring these these two other rifles up to the 21st century, man. You know, like I, I remember the first time taking a 2010 to the range and like coming from the M24 to the 2010. It was like it's right. the same rifle, right. but 
it's, it's the same rifle, but with a chassis. But now all of a sudden, like, you know, the, the PBS 30 going up there is, is easy to interface. Like, there's not some Rube Goldberg system to try right. and put this on. This, this is pretty sweet, man. You know, and, and so we've talked about, um, you know, training people in marksmanship, like real right. marksmanship. And and I remember the last time that I had you on a year ago, we uh, we were talking about, you know, firearms training and kind of like the state of the industry and not really shitting on anybody, but kind of making an observation right. of, you know, doing CQB style firearms classes. Oh. Oh, you know, your, your explicit comments. Well, yeah, that that. But I mean, you, you said it's easy. The reason they do that is is pretty easy. It is. It's easy on the instructor. Uh, it's it's super easy. You can do it on a hundred yard range. Everybody feels good. Uh, but it is. It's fucking stupid, uh, especially in this. Uh, now, I think this is an important point for for both of us for what for what we say. And you guys, you were actually well ahead of me on the training curve for this for the stuff that's, that we're doing now. Uh, you know, none of this has ever been about making a guerrilla force, uh, you know, overthrow the U.S. government or some fucking retarded shit like that. Uh, that's dumb. That's that's not what this is for. Now, I'm going to say that like three years ago, I, I would have thought that like teaching like infantry tactics and, and sniper stuff to civilians was LARPing. I, I would have, you know, just being perfectly yeah. honest, it would have been like that's they're never going to use that shit. It's 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 LARPing in the same way that training as LARP as entering a different arena big time since COVID happened. And especially since I see us at like the end of empire as well, it does not take much on an economic front for cartel type organizations to rise up uh, or even just advanced banditry. Like we're seeing in South Africa and have been for, you know, 30 years, you know, we're not talking about a home invasion of two, three dickheads anymore. We're talking about, you know, organized forces of, of 20 to 40 that did recce and came to take your shit. Probably your animals on the hoof or, you know, your ravioli cans, to fly, whatever it may be. That lends itself to a completely different style of warfare uh, in preparation, if we're, you know, as what we're talking about, that, that people need to know how to do. Uh, all of a sudden, those infantry skills don't seem fucking stupid anymore uh, at all. Right. You know, that is, I feel like, the number one thing that people need to be training on. And this also goes back to the, you know, the war band philosophy. Before 2020, I could easily say, I could teach you a pistol, a little bit of knife, and then maybe a little bit of carbine, just some, like, baby, baby CQB. Uh, to defend your house and shoot to 50 meters past your house at an absolute worst case. That's no longer the case now. Now we're talking about the average dude needing to be able to integrate with a squad-sized element and have a squad-sized element to be able to collectively defend your shit. Yep. Yeah, yeah. and it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a dynamic change. I mean, it's a huge fucking change. And uh, the training industry has in no way kept up with that. Uh, you know, people, people aren't pushing those ideas. Uh, most trainers do not have the foresight to see that that's where we need to go. So they're not even offering it as an option. Well, I think, too, they're afraid to. I, I think that there's there's probably a lot of guys out there who they're comfortable in, in you know, their niche, whatever their niche is. And they really don't want to get outside of that because now you're talking about 
one, it's it's way more physically demanding. Oh yes. Uh, oh know, God, God yes. Here, yes. You know, there, there's a mountain of risk involved in that, and like my mm-hmm. place here, North Carolina, it, it's uphill both ways. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know like all guys that have been to the scout course, man, and, and the recce course that they're they're laughing right now listening to this because it is. I mean, you know, that, that's it, it's uphill both ways. And so, you know, you're you're out there like I'm out there humping those hills with those guys, man. Yeah. And that you're you're out there like um, the uh, the last recce course, you know, which, which was it was a huge class. And um, having guys who they, they had a night mission that they had to conduct, yep. you know, mm-hmm. on an opposing force. And um, they literally humped through some very thick vegetation and hung out in a swamp. This was back in October, but it, it was cold here then. I mean, it was it was uh, getting close to freezing. They humped through swamp and hung out and had that tactical patience in that swamp. And when they, these guys opened up at night, you know, we're doing it all with blanks and, and they're throwing smoke and, and everything. But when they have salted that objective and they opened up and these are all civilians, this, it was one of the most impressive things. And I mean, they did this after, you know, getting, getting their block instruction and planning their operation. And we did an insertion, you know, and, and you know, they, they actually inserted off of a vehicle and, you know, they, they're doing their, they're, they're, they're going through all the steps, you know, all the yep. same things that, you know, you and I have done all that. Yep. And they're going through all that stuff. Right. And they're enduring it and, and watching it. I'm standing there with the op four watching these guys. And not only that, you're, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. So one of the guys that was in class is uh, that, that was in that class was a former uh, CCT guy. And they had, utilizing their their radio equipment uh and i go into this in, in the balfang book too but um utilizing that and a tablet and the data cable for balfang he sent me a full angus report right he sent <laughs> me awesome. a full full-on angus intel report about and this is at night by the way Right. So th- this is coming up on uh, I think it was just after midnight that they hit the objective. He sent me that, that full report, the enemy composition, where they were attacking from. I mean, it was this. It, it, I, I have seen guys bolo this so many times in training when, when you know, when, when I was doing this as a professional soldier. And I mean, hell, I fucked it up many times myself. And right. seeing seeing this, and they're doing this stuff. You know, he, he's he's sending out that first transmission, and then I was going to give them the go ahead as as soon as they did. That, I was going to authorize them uh, green light their their assault on the objective. I mean, that was it, that that was as an instructor seeing that. That was like I, I that was complete nirvana, man. And he's like, <laughs> man, these guys these guys are so freaking doggone dangerous right now but they have come together and and 72 hours prior to that these guys had never seen each other before they'd never seen each other before much less work with one another and now all of a sudden they're coordinating an attack on a simulated objective and took it quick by the way completely took the op four by surprise they never saw it coming it was like man but you you know that's a risky endeavor 
for a lot of instructors out there. Right. And I could get sued. I got paid that much more in insurance because, you know, you do. And, and, you know, the logistics behind it, guys are using their weapons and they're running them with blanks. It's like, uh, you know, now I got to buy blanks, which costs just as much as, as live ammo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't, they, they don't want to do that. You know, they, they don't want to put themselves out there like that. And Hey, I get it. I get it. You know, but what's the higher mission? Right. You know, my higher exactly. mission is seeing seeing these guys get out there and they're they're now conducting missions like the, you know in a with a very short spin up time they're now conducting missions in a very precise way and uh you know training that that guerrilla force out there uh that that's local in nature you know they can go back right. and I, I look at this too is, is those guys are force multipliers because they're not going to be able to recite the ranger handbook you know they ain't going to be able to tell you you know all the elements of conducting a proper reconnaissance patrol they don't need to know all that all they need to know is hey this is what we did and i know that it worked because i saw us do it and this is how effective it was and now i'm going to teach you guys how to do that right no dude it's fucking huge and uh and like i said you know for a lot of people just won't do it, but you know, also the, that mentality shift of this, this now is definitely very potentially what's needed. Uh, that's, that's hard. That's hard to absorb. And I, I think, you know, for a lot of people that are potential students as well, it's kind of hard for them to imagine a, you know, a world where this is real, but it is coming. Yeah. You know, it, well, it, that's a real world thing. For the folks in South Texas right now. You oh, know, yeah. They, no. Right. The news, the national media, if all you absorb is national media, you're never going to hear about what happens south of I-10. You ain't never going to hear about that. You know, when when I was down in South Texas this last time and, uh, you know, the, they, you know, their their group, the, the group of folks that are down there and and these are some some incredible people right incredible people i I can't praise them enough because they they they're incredible folks and um they sent out a group message to one another saying that you know there there was a bailout at a place that was uh, local to them and i said you know what does that what does that term mean i i and they were giving each other basically an alert saying hey there, there was a bailout at this location and then, um, you know, you, you guys at night, they need to be checking their stuff. And that's what, what does this term mean? And um, the uh, host of the class, who I was uh, we, while we were eating dinner and uh, having a couple of beers. And he said, a bailout is when illegals, there, there's a stop of a vehicle, normally, uh, you know, a multi-passenger vehicle or, or transfer truck or something. And a bunch of illegals jump out of it and just scatter. You know, in the woods, and they they uh, have been conducting all these breaking and enterings, and then lo and behold, like 48 hours after that, there's a video that came out that I saw that that was making the the uh, uh, social media circles of a coordinated breaking and entering. This was like six guys on a uh, a farmhouse in South Texas where these guys were kicking in the door, 
You know, and, and when you have that many people, you don't know where these guys are from either. Like the, the folks who are crossing the border are not from Mexico. OK, right. Right. They're not from Mexico. Same Mexicans. These these are guys who, you know, are coming from Nicaragua, which is an mm -hmm. enemy country that is, is under the yep. El Salvador. Right. They're Ooh, all man. under the Chinese dominion. Yeah. You know, they, they are all under that uh, hegemony of China and under the influence of China. I mean, you know, El Salvador is run by a communist currently, right? Right. You know, he's kind of the, the young face of communism. Nicaragua, run by Daniel Ortega. Daniel Ortega was the leader of the Sandinistas. He is a communist. He was a Soviet proxy, right? You've got Colombia. Colombia is now run by a communist. He was a communist guerrilla back in the 1980s. You've got Venezuela, which needs no introduction. You've got fucking Brazil now, which needs oh, you know, no explanation. <laughs> right. And, and, no, it's fucking insane, dude. And, uh, you know, to also think that those tactics don't, one, spread north uh, as soon as, like, you know, it's barely contained right now by, you know, still the might of the U.S. military, if you will. Like, they're not helping anybody south of I-10, but, like, if this shit started happening in Austin, like, they would probably step in. The moment that is gone, which is happening uh, on a daily basis, pieces of that, not only that very real power, but that threat of power is slowly being shipped away. I think these kind of tactics don't spread uh, north uh, away from, you know, the same cartel guys or away from the cities when there's nothing left eat or loot is is foolish uh that's exactly what the fuck will happen <laughs> like this is this is how this is how shit devolves uh so yeah that's that's the picture that everyone needs to be looking at as a minimum threat anymore it's not you know a fucking burglar right i mean if you think about it like what if one out of every five of those guys, which I think is a very uh, conservative estimate, but one out of every five of those guys is a former professional soldier or someone who or maybe current professional soldier, someone who has a degree of training in some type of warfare like we, we call it asymmetric warfare, you know, you, unconventional warfare, whatever, whatever you want to call it. This guy has had schooling in how to destabilize things because that's his purpose in life, right? right. And if one out of every five or one out of every ten has that and can give everybody else around him, hey, hey, boys, this is a crash course in, in how to do business. If you look at all the people that are crossing the border, they're all military-age males. I mean, what does that tell you? Well, it doesn't take much to get, you know, semi-competent, if you will. Yeah, you, you. I mean, for that matter, look honestly just at the uh, the cartel fights that we've seen between, uh, you know, either between cartels and each other, cartels and the, uh, the Mexican government. Uh, those dudes, for the most, I mean, they're not as talented as you know a fucking U.S. Army infantryman or as well trained, but they have some training. Obviously, they're not schmucks. All right, they're not incompetent. And uh, the the shit that they're able to do to the Mexican government, which you know, Mexican. Uh, military is actually not terrible. It's been very well trained over a lot of years. Uh, it's had a lot of influence from us, uh, and they're kicking the shit out of them on occasion. You know, to to think that it's only professionals, you know, real no shit true professionals that are dangerous. 
is uh, is blatantly fucking wrong. You know, hell for that matter, you cannot. You and I can look back at the uh, the war we fought for twenty years, and you know, early on, yeah, we were just stomping the balls off of people. But tactical Darwinism is a thing. As things progressed, yeah. those guys got a lot better. Uh, you know, to the they were you know they're giving us some pretty good runs for our money there, especially towards the end. Yeah. You know, it, especially as the the proliferation of better equipment begat right. better techniques, because right. the, you know all the dumbasses. Yeah, you know, to to borrow a, a phrase from a buddy Madman Actual, you know all all the dumbasses running around with you know AKs and you know kind of just doing the the whole uh, uh, shoot and scoot kind of deal. They all got shot. Right. You know, right. All the guys that ran around looking like. You know, they that look like when you think of the Taliban and, and whatever image comes up, all the guys that ran around looking like that with their, you know, their, their Chinese uh, chess rig on and, you know, looking Evan. like hardened <laughs> battle. So like, they all got shot, man. Like right. like all, all those guys, when, when I'm getting paid positive identification on target, that's what I'm looking for. Right. You know, that's what I'm looking for. They got smart about that. Right. These, these guys got, got smart. They got smart in a hurry. Right. And, you know, that's that's exactly the same thing that we'll see here from uh, from criminal gangs or whatever kind of bullshit is uh, as, as this situation gets worse. They will get tactically better. The ones that don't die. Uh, you know, there'll be some some yep. fucking maskers early on, but they will get a lot better uh, very quickly. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, I mean, for that reason extending something that I call extending the engagement gap, which I think, um, you know, you, you've probably talked about that as well, you know, with, with uh, especially the training paradigm that, that you're coming from as well, um, where, you know, we, we take advantage of that extended range. I mean, and, and there's at least somebody, you know, I, I want to take this moment to not completely shit on the U.S. military uh, as a departure from character here. But uh <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I'm just jaded on a lot of stuff, you know, but you get it, uh, the adoption of the 277 SIG in whatever capacity it's going to end up in, I think, which is it, it poses a severe logistics question, but whatever, uh, that's irrelevant. At least somebody in the hierarchy is still thinking in forward terms. Uh, of hey right. you know we need to extend the engagement gap uh you know maybe what what we're getting out of the m4 is you know with a 14 half inch barrel one seven twist 62 grain ammo maybe is not necessarily um you know realistically in my experience 300 meters is uh about it um out out of the m4 specifically i know the m16a4 right. is, is a little bit further right. than that but, but 300 meters is about it when you're talking about getting effective, actually combat effective hits. Yeah, you can get a hit. You can punch hole in paper right. all day long. I, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, as you know, I'm talking about actually putting somebody down. And, and realistically, 200 meters is, is probably um, getting there, like like approaching that. Right. And when you're talking about a center of mass hit and, and you know, that lethality, right? So going to uh, putting the the and throughout the the GWAT like we experimented with different things at the small unit level to 
try and improve that. Like 77 grain right. ammo, uh, the 262 uh, OTM rounds, which I'm a big fan of. I, you know, I, I know firsthand that they work very well. Um, you know, the, the adoption of the M110, which was a good idea on paper. Implementation was was kind of piss poor because um, th- that weapon had some major pitfalls. Oh, God. But, uh, oh, shit. Oh, man. Like, like, people are shocked when I tell them about that. Dude, me too. About, the, yeah, like, the, the, the CAC fanboys on, like, social media shit. <laughs> like, uh, no, man, those guns are dog shit. Uh, <laughs> they suck, especially... Anyway, not to get off topic, but yes, no, I, I get it a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so extending that engagement gap, at least somebody's still thinking about that, you know? Right. And, and, uh, that's why, um, I'm still a big fan of five, five, six in longer barrels, um, right. you know, 16 inch barrel, uh, even a 20 inch barrel, I think is still highly effective in the woods. I mean, we're using 20 inch barrel ARs. Uh, you know, the, the M16 and the M16A1 in Vietnam, you know, and, and right. the 20-inch barrel is a little little bit long, but you're getting the, the 5.56 requires that velocity, right, right. To, to be effective. But, um, you know, moving to heavier calibers, you know, this is something that you've discussed quite a bit, um, you know, when I talk about in class as well. What What is your ideal setup? Talk me through your ideal setup. And what you advocate to, you know, Johnny Paycheck out there, Joe, you know, Joe Blow. This is, uh, this is actually, this is a big mindset change, honestly, since uh, since we talked last year too. As I, I've actually basically switched over to teaching a lot of long range now because the of all the things that you can not make up for with violence or or tactics, learning to engage things at further distance. That's one that's very hard to learn after the fact. You know what I mean? You know, when uh, let's say that the you know the jihad kicks off, for lack of a better term, it's very hard to get good at engaging things past five six hundred at that point. Uh, so my belief for what I what I believe is coming is that long range precision fire is exactly the answer. That's what everyone should be looking at uh, as the thing they need to train on this year. Um, for for perfect setup. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm still torn between a 16 and a 20 inch barrel, um, just because again the velocity gain on the 20, but the handiness of the 16 is pretty hard to fucking beat. But my my belief I'm in now, the same boat, you're in the same boat, yeah, same dude. Boat. It's it's uh it's really rough. Uh, but I I'm gonna say one of those two items. Uh, a very good barrel in it. Uh, you know, probably one that'll shoot about a half him away or less. Uh, three quarters I would accept, and and one inch would be like my my minimum acceptance. And here's why I like it. Uh, you can get some good hits to it that are still uh, out of my 16 inch barrel. I'm getting solid hits at about 650, 650, 700. Now the lethality on that end is still not great because we still lost some velocity, but it's it's better than nothing. It's still pretty good. Uh, the gun is light, the ammo is light, and the ammo is commonly available. Uh, even if I start this party with my match grade stuff, which is, you know, 77 grain, something like that, if nothing else, at least I can retain the same gun. And there are ass loads of 5.56 floating around this country. So for long term supply, it's really, really, really hard to beat. Uh, that's that's going to I'm going to say my primary. 
and uh, preferably up top on glass, either a, a one to six or a one to eight, depending on what I can afford. I don't see anything wrong with having a, a second caliber, a bigger caliber six five Creedmoor three hundred eight, but that primary gun needs to be really, really fucking good. As you know, I'm also older now. I'm not probably carrying two guns unless somebody just unless I just have to. Uh, right. As well as it runs, you know, kind of contrary to the uh, to the tactics that I see being the order of the day, which is you know strike fast, strike hard, and leave. So. Despite all of its shortcomings, you know, it, that, that, that old fucking 5.56 five, in that configuration is pretty damn hard to say no to. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, you're echoing my thoughts exactly and, and, you know, talking about that in class. And the other thing that, that I think people really need to take into account is recoil management because, you know, I mean, I'm a full grown man. You're a full grown man. Recoil is, you know, it's something like. What's the thing? Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get behind that gun and and you know, you, you got to be able to take it. Like, like recoil is kind of a badge of honor, man. Like, you know, you're like, yeah, hell yeah, I remember the first time I shot a Barrett. <laughs> and uh, you know, like get mine at that fifty and and uh, <clears throat> shooting that and. You, you gotta be a full grown man to, to one to carry it, but two to you know to, to take the recoil off that thing. And I mean, hell, even the M twenty four, you you sit behind that, or the, you know the M forty when you were in the Marine Corps, yeah. Um, you, know, you you take that to to a, a day of doing KD work or a known distance range work, you're yeah. gonna feel that at the end of the day. Like oh, you, yeah, you're yeah. gonna no day. So well, you know, bolt action rifle. There ain't much bring, to take off that recoil. It's not like a semi-auto. No. You know? Right. When you bring up a very good point there, uh, as far as weight goes, too, you know, weight's one of those things that doesn't matter when you're in the flat range or, you know, I got out of my truck and walked over a shooting position and, and shot. Because obviously, you know, 6.5 Creedmoor, 308, 300 wind mag, they'll stomp the shit out of 5.56 five, on the flat range. No, no doubt, no question. But, yep. and I got to carry that heavy motherfucker you know, 10 miles through the mountains or the swamp, that weight Man. starts making a big difference. It really does. Yep. And uh, when I'm talking yep. about carrying something heavier for ballistic advantage, it, it's got to have a, I've really got to need it that time for me to think of something else. Right, right. And when you look at your operating environment, you know, your oh. your operating environment where you are is completely different from, from mine. You know, oh, yeah. Dude, absolutely. You know, if if I'm taking a long distance shot that would call for something like a, a six five or three hundred wind mag, right? Yeah. And, and I have to take a shot that long. Where am I doing that? You know, it, it's going to be like right. a power line. It's going to be Dude. you know maybe a highway. Yeah. But then that calls into question. You know what's what's the scenario? Like what, what what's the larger thing that's going on here? The second third order effect of what's going on here you know like maybe maybe i might be able to get away with not taking that shot at all if, if i gotta take it from that long you know right. and maybe close that engagement gap a little bit but staying outside of their range of weapons right I, mean, I, I don't know I, i'm thinking out loud here well no i mean that's that's something else that people have to factor in is like where you live especially where you live man five five six where i live now yeah 
Ignore Nevada. Oh, yeah. No, not anymore. But a completely different mindset. Uh, at that point, semi-auto 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, only because I can see so far. For me, that was a totally different ballgame. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it's a whole, whole different thing, man. And and it, you have to take into account that operating environment. You know, like Eastern North Carolina, there's a lot of guys down there that I know that run 762 by 39. And you yeah. can run 762 by 39 very effectively here with a red dot. I mean, I have I, I have several AKs um, that, you know, I, I train with because there's a lot of them being built in Venezuela. And a lot more of them being built in Venezuela than there are soldiers in the Venezuelan army. So they're building them for somebody. That's you know? interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, Look that's... that. It's, uh, since 2019, the uh, Ismash oh, built a factory in Caracas, Venezuela. In 20, It was completed in 2019. And they are turning out 50,000 AK-103s a year. Plus the ammo. 50,000 a year? 50,000 a year. And who were they oh, arming? Like, that's who, fucking who wild. They, you know? Like, it, I wow. mean, if you think about it, why, why would Ismash or, or Kalashnikov concern, right? Which which what it's known as now. Why would yeah. they outsource the production of their own weapon system when that cuts into their market? Like their their export market, why would they do that? Like they they're kind of undercutting their own uh, uh, company when they're doing that. It doesn't really make a lot of sense unless you have a local factory. Like you're setting up the logistics for something else for a future operation, and you're right. setting that. Up, you know, it, you basically That's it's it's the forward right. operating base concept. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Dude, hundred percent. Yeah, that's fucking wild. Wow. Who, who yeah. That's fucking crazy. Well, yeah, this all goes back to that that thing too of like you don't have to know exactly what's going on right now to know that shit is about to be not good. Right. Right. That's the professional you know, intelligence term, by the way. At not good. Uh, we can also say sub, <laughs> we, we can also say. Suboptimal, if we want to sound fancier, but yeah, that's that's my analysis. Like, it's all fucked up. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that is. <laughs> you're like it, ML Coa, MD Coa. It's all fucked up, top to bottom. Right. We're in a fuckload of trouble. Fucking right. load mags, boys. <laughs> right. We're 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 that green ramp in an hour. Let's go. Right. Oh shit. <laughs> Like, like we'll, we'll write the op order on the way. We're going to make this one up as we go. But like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Give it the old number seven. <laughs> oh, man. But, but uh, yeah, you know, the, the the one last thing that I'll say about, it, about all that, though, is uh, not not the weapons being manufactured in, in Caracas or any of that, but, but going back to the 556, is one of my greatest success stories in doing this was I had a 62 year old grandmother who came to class in Yakima, Washington. And, um, you know, we, we were up in the Cascades and, 
you know, she came to class and she, she, without a doubt, I had a few ladies in, in that course and they were all awesome. But this 62 year old grandmother, right. She gets out there with, she, she came out there and she's literally the epitome of coming to the fight with whatever it is you have. Right. She came out there with a rifle that was uh, it had started life as a 80 percent lower. And, you know, it was it was kind of dodgy, man. The the the, the there were metal shavings inside of this weapon. And it was like, oh, you know, this is she was having some trouble when we were on on the KD range and we were doing marksmanship stuff. And uh, she was having some trouble in the morning. One of the guys in that class who who, uh, you know, had he had brought a couple of spare weapons with him just in case. And he hooked her up with a rifle. So here she is. Like, she has no experience with an AR. Like, she got this AR-15 from a relative, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. She had no experience with the platform. Really not much experience shooting other than going to an Appleseed with a 22, which I I think is awesome. No, it's totally legit. Right? Yeah. She's out there training with what she has. She's a grandmother. And, you know, we... We go through the course of fire for the day, and we had steel up on the next ridgeline, uh, moved them down to uh, where where we were doing some engagement on uh, human silhouettes at, at different distances, and we had them up on the next ridgeline over. And the furthest one w- was right around 400 meters. And, you know, she engages at 150. She engages at 200. She engages at 250, 300, right? She's hitting each time. By the way, she's doing this with a red dot, right? Six-year-old <laughs> grandmother awesome. with a red dot, with a red dot. It was, I think it was a hollow sun. Dude, that's and, gangster. Uh, that is gangster as fuck. And she looks at me after each one. She's like, I hit that. And I said, yeah, you hit that. I want to you know, engage it again. And she hit it again. And she keeps looking up at me like she's in complete disbelief. And she goes, I must just be getting lucky. And I'm like, no, you're applying your skill. Like you, you, you it's, it's luck has nothing to do with physics. Right. You're applying right. that you have built. You built that skill today. Had, you know, like we, we talk about online, like the gun guys and, and the, you know, the vet bro crowd and like all of us get on there and like we're, we're talking about caliber stuff and like, right recoil and like oh wait you don't want to shoot 308 will you pussy you know like i mean we we talk about all that in like those terms but you take into account the 62 year old grandma right she's a grandma she's in this small unit tactics class that is male like alpha male meat eater dominated and all of a sudden bro she's getting it and she is beaming with pride and like confidence that this weapon that she knew nothing about, you know, just eight hours prior, all of a sudden she's confident with this thing. She can carry this thing for the remainder of her class, you know, and, and she did. She had some some physical limitations. She's 62 years old, you know, right. but, but she can take she she told me this, by the way, it was one of the most uh, touching things that anybody's ever told me in a class. But she said, I can take these skills and I can teach my granddaughters how to fight. Dude, come on. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's like, that's one of the biggest. 
that, that's fucking wild. That's one dude. of the most important things to me. Because it's it's not like it's not like a like even even if that had been like a grandfather, that comment really wouldn't have hit me the same. Because right, no, that's fuck. a grandfather's duty is to teach his grandkids, his grandsons specifically. It's it's a a right of manhood to right. learn how to shoot, you know. But she's well, saying I'm going to teach my granddaughters how to do this. That's fucking that's awesome. like damn right. She's gonna she's gonna awesome. make some warrior queens out there, some some shield maidens, you know. That's fucking and, awesome. And, yeah. Well, dude, that that, that's, that actually brings up a that brings up another point too that I, that I've seen happen here uh, over the last year a lot. It's amazing how much we take basic rifle marksmanship for granted, but it's more amazing how many people have never been taught that. Which goes back to these problems of uh, you know ten, fifteen to fuck twenty years of like CQB oriented only classes. People can't shoot for yeah. shit, and the the basics of it is not yeah. that fucking hard, but they got to be taught. And uh, when you see somebody like that go from like, you know, couldn't hit the floor, they dropped it to, you know, and I don't give a shit if it's from the perfect position with a bipod and all kinds of shit to now they can engage a target at, at 300 yards, which was an unreachable distance for them an hour ago. That's a huge difference. That's a that's the one that, you know, they do that and they're like, you know, holy shit, this is not impossible. Uh, and that is, that is fucking huge, man. That is a, that's a big fucking deal. Well, you know, the thing is too, is that when people get into marksmanship training, right. And they hear distances, they get yep. intimidated. Like, right. Like when you went in the Marine Corps, when you're in Marine Corps boot camp, yeah. And you, you got into basic rifle marksmanship and they said, you know, hey, hey, you're going to be engaging at 500 meters or well, 500 yards from Marine Corps. There's an intimidation factor there. That's a of like, long ways, dude. Yeah. Well, you Man, know, I ain't never shot pro- that far. Before. No, fuck. No, me neither. Where I was from, there wasn't there was no such thing as a range that went that far. You know, I, yeah. I don't know if I had shot further than 100 maybe 150 yards before that day is that you know the, the the rifle culture didn't it was already starting to break down you know 23 24 years ago when i was in uh, marine corps uh basic uh it, probably even since like the 70s maybe even before that you know we kind of lost that that culture and that ability but those distances man they are intimidating if you've never done it they they yeah. are like holy shit man that's fucking the far side of the moon but yeah, man, like like the first time that I shot to a thousand, that was like, like oh shit, you know, like you know, a score expert every time uh, on the Army Marksmanship Qualification Course. Yeah. You know, never had a problem, right? Never had a problem. Never had a problem with you know, pop up targets. I thought I was the shit, you know. And the thing is, is that what I like about the Marine Corps, uh, the, the Marine Corps rifle qualification versus the armies is that in the Marine Corps, you're graded on the actual marksmanship, right? Like, like where, where your rounds are impacting. Yeah. Right. And the army, it's a pop-up target. It hits a hit. Like you hit it, it goes down, whatever. Like it doesn't matter whether you, you know, you shot it in the crotch, you shot it in the top of the head. It doesn't matter. You know, and, and you've got 18 inches of wiggle room there from the belt line to the top of the head of that green Ivan target to put it down 
you know, and, and you throw an ACOG into the mix. And it, I mean, come on. Like, if, if you can't get expert using an ACOG, I mean, you, you ain't going to business on, on that rifle. <laughs> Period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, it, you know, seriously, I, 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 I couldn't. I couldn't wrap my mind around people who failed to qualify. Right. You know, when I came into the army, we were using irons for everything. I still couldn't wrap my mind around people failing to qualify. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> it, it's easy. There's no recoil here. Like this, you know, growing up, like I, the, the first rifle I ever had was a uh, Remington 742 in 30 out six. And oh, that was geez, my hunt. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. That, that was yeah, man. I had. Fuck yeah, dog. Like, from the time I was like ten years old, that was the rifle I had to hunt with. <laughs> right, like, like that was it. You know, I mean, so now all of a sudden we're shooting this M16, like this thing ain't nothing. It's a you fucking like, child's toy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but but um, one of the things that I like the Marine Corps actually grades people on marksmanship. You know, and and like where your rounds are actually impacting in the army it doesn't you know but there there is like something to that when you read uh scouting and patrolling uh rex applegate's book uh mm-hmm. from from that he wrote just after world war ii and he came up with the army marksmanship qualification course there's a reason for that yeah you see know, the average engagement distance him being a a, a oss man um you know and, and having access to you know the, the 10,000 foot level of combat in the realities of it in Europe. He said, this is, if we're going to be training up for a fight in Europe, this is what it's going to look like. And so it, it made sense, right? It made sense, but bringing it back to that basic rifle marksmanship or, you know, accuracy matters and you, you're integrating all of that, you know, recoil management is, is a big part of it and learning the the actual steps that go into marksmanship and overcoming that intimidation of, of distance of, you know, all right, I, I, I have mastered the manual of arms, of my weapon, you know, breathe, relax, aim, squeeze, right. The, the continuum of marksmanship here, right. I, I've, you know, got myself in a nice comfy position here, or I've got comfortable being uncomfortable as uh, uh, I, I don't remember right. who originally said that, but I, I love that term, you know, but Getting getting yourself more used to and, and overcoming the intimidation of distance of yeah, I, I'm going to be shooting at 500 meters, you know, or I'm going to be shooting at 600, 700, whatever it is. And realistically, when you think about how far your weapons actually shoot, you know, hey, that that's that's beginning to make a lot of sense. And so. Uh, returning it back to the reality that, you know, 50,000 AK-103s are being produced in Caracas, Venezuela every year since 2019. So you do the math on that one. The 762 by 39 is a 200 meter weapon, right? The, the engagement range. It can go to 300, sure, but it's personal experience here. You know, accurate hits are getting a little dodgy at 300 meters. And, and that round has run out of so much steam because it itself, it was a product of the realities of combat in Europe, right? I love the round. I think right. it's awesome, but you ain't getting, you know, I, I love it for a different reason than I love 556 and, and definitely, you know, 762 by 51 and, and all the longer range cartridges because that engagement gap is so much shorter. There is an envelope in, in which it is extremely practical to use. Right. 
But if you can outrange that and you can keep yourself, if you're armed with knowledge of the engagement distance of your opposition, of what they're likely to be using, and you can stay out of that engagement distance and it's still accurately engage them, you, you have got a force multiplier that is a psychological weapon as much as it is a visceral weapon. Right. No, man, totally agree. It's, uh, it's, it's unfucking real, actually. You know, it's, uh, it's a game changer. We've, we've yeah. been able to, you know, do this on our side for some time. And that was, one. you know, a previous conversation I was talking about having, carrying a bigger gun. Like if I lived in the desert, when I, when I did, I cannot imagine getting out there and getting pinned down by some asshole with a, with a deer rifle. Because he brought a thousand meter gun and I brought some bullshit. And in that environment, it would be easy to walk into and extraordinarily difficult to walk out of. It's not like, you know, suppose there's vegetation where you can just fall on the ground and crawl 10 meters and and hopefully get behind some cover and then, you know, leave. It's a game changer, man. Uh, Being outgunned like that is not a good time. No. No. And I mean, if you think about it, like uh, talking about sniper stuff, you know, Rob Furlong with, uh, you know, Rob Furlong is is known for you know having the, the longest range uh, kill. And, you know, the, the numbers kind of change over time. with The story, I think, you know, I ain't saying one, one yeah. thing one way or the other is it's whatever. There's the Rob Furlong fanboys out there. And hey, that's cool. Um, but that wasn't a one shot, one kill kind of deal that's you know that stuff i mean i know you can talk from personal experience and i damn sure can uh that that's a rare thing man and, and i mean rob burlong's story he was walking rounds in you know and, and right. uh, i've known a few guys that that were doing that they, they're walking those rounds in man but if you're out in the desert or or really you know any any engagement environment you know whatever you want to talk about like wherever your operating range is and or, or your area of operations, rather, and somebody is is got a near miss on you, they already have your number. Like they're bracketing you at that point. Right, right, you know? <laughs> right. You're having a bad fucking day. Yeah. 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 No, it's crazy, and you know that's that's really true too. Uh, yeah, that's also one of the reasons I prefer a semi-auto to uh, to a bolt action in almost every case. Even when we're talking about the bigger calibers is uh yeah is just because like you know you can do some wild shit at even like a thousand yards with a volley fire uh, you really can with with the right with the right gun uh on top of which you know thing that people don't think of because this didn't happen to us a hell of a lot in the war that we fought but i do know at least one guy that shot somebody at two feet with his m40 because he, he was yeah is fucking running down the hill from a support by fire position. And fortunately for him, just one dickhead popped out of like, I don't know, a little fucking shanty thing. And uh, he ran the fucking bolt from the hip and shot the dude. But that's what was in his hand. If he had missed that shot, dude, that dude would have fucking smoked his ass. So that's a that's a thing that I, I always, always talk about. Uh, you know, who actually had a really hard time absorbing this was, uh, I trained, uh, some Marines 
uh, I actually got contracted to teach their urban sniper course and they would not let go mm. of that fucking M40. And we're talking like the year, like 2015 or some shit. And, uh, yeah. they would not let go of that M40 and go to their M110 cause it's less accurate. I'm like, okay, let's say that on its worst day, the M110 is probably like a one and a half inch gun. Really, man? Like, <laughs> I will fucking take that in case I got to put 20 rounds through the windshield of this Corolla that's rolling up on us right now instead of trying to rack the bolt 20 times on my goddamn M40. Like, you got to think about this shit. <laughs> you know, it goes yeah. back to that. Accuracy is not everything. It's cool. Right. Well, it's not everything. Accuracy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, like look, the M40, I get it. The the whole culture, the M40, uh the M24, the M2010 now, you know, like the contemporary weapon. Um I get it in one respect like especially especially with the scout sniper community. Like the like the Marine Corps scout sniper community running the M40 is a badge of honor. And they're like, I will I don't care if I have to like butt stroke somebody with this thing like <laughs> <laughs> being a side, I'm dead serious. You, you know, if, if, if I'm oh, wrong, but my cult, experience, with, it's a yeah, fucking cult. Yeah, they're they're like, no, I was awarded this weapon. I I earned the right to run this weapon system, and it's going to be the hill I dial. You know, right. and, and hey, <laughs> I mean, I love it. I, I love it. I, I absolutely love that. You know, the the army. Cyber culture in the army is a little different. Um, a little different, you know. Like, like we've we've got a we have a variety of weapons. It's, it was kind of the wild west there for a little while too, because you know right. the M twenty four, the M one ten was getting fielded. You had a bunch of EBRs that were still, you know, kind yeah. of smattered in the mix. Um, there was there was kind of the MTO standard, and then then it was kind of the you know, the Wild West. I know, you know, the, the SF sniper community was doing some interesting stuff, too. I mean, you had uh, the SPR that was being fielded and, you know, they're experimenting with all kinds of AMU was like off doing its own unique thing for a little while. With, you know, 6.8, uh, the SPC it's just it, it's fascinating. But in the Marine Corps, they were like, no, we're going to run we're going to run the M40. And that's this just going to be it. This is our shit. <laughs> Yeah, no, dude, I'm 100% with it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, actually, that SPR versus M110 shit, that's one of, like, the ways that I, that I came to my conclusions on 5.56. The SPR is a 5.56, a you know, accurized sniper rifle M4, basically, with a, I can't remember if it's got an 18 or 20-inch barrel. But uh, it's funny, because of, like, all, okay, it's 18. But of all the uh, the snipers I knew in, in SF, it was probably about evenly split between the SR-25 and the SPR. And the yeah. uh, thing about that, you know, being in a group chat with a bunch of, you know, very successful, very experienced snipers, about half of which ran each. You know, as a younger man, I was a big 308 guy. But, you know, talking to those and seeing my peers that ran the other gun, and it worked pretty much just as well. Yeah. You know, it really that was one of the things that really changed my mind on uh on the on the on the caliber. Like, you know, shit matters. And this gun's pretty fucking pretty close to uh to as good. Yeah. And and I mean with seventy seven grain OTM, right? And Mark two six two round, 
That's that's an extremely effective round. I mean, I, I don't have any complaints with it. Um, you know, and, and I mean, for anybody that that's wondering, you know, take it on a hog hunt and, uh, you know, go, go see what it does to a hog and, you know, come, come back and tell me, cause I mean, I, I love training on, on live meat, you know, like yeah. that's, I think that's, that's a very realistic. I mean, if I, I take a shot on something and it puts the animal down and the animal has a, a similar enough anatomy to a human, you know, physiology. I mean, there's a reason we do live tissue training on goats and pigs. Um, you know, when I was in, we would do the medical stuff and, and some other things. But, um, you know, we were doing live tissue training on them, you know, as a, a means of training. Because, you know, you can't, can't obviously, you know, we're not going to be running around in combat yet. You got you to train for that. And so, um, you know, train while you can. And one of the neat things that, you know, doing is, is getting out there and going on a hog hunt. Because that's a close enough anatomy to a human, and try it with right. 77 and see what it does. I mean, shot placement still matters for sure, because that always matters. But right, you know, that's that that's going to make more sense. That's going to carry you further, you know, than having these endless, you know, circular debates online with people who who probably don't know their ass from a hole in the ground, which is why they're arguing about it online. You know? Right, right. No, I agree 100 percent, man. It's, yeah, uh, and, and you know the weight savings, because I mean, you know, you got busted up across your career. I got busted up across mine. Like, you know, it, it, and now that that you know, I'm in my my late 30s, I'm starting to feel things like like when I was in my 20s. Yeah, whatever. Like, cold mornings, you're a little stiff. Whatever comes with the job, like. You know, go out, run your five miles and and you'll be fine. You know, and, and like like drink yourself to sleep. <laughs> you know, right. when, when it's time to bed down. No and, shit. Uh, you know, you know, but now that now that we're getting up there in age and, and having to, to deal with a lot of scar tissue from injuries and everything, man, I don't want to be carrying that much weight anymore. You know, right. No, dude, I fucking. Yeah. No, plus your know, mobility is your friend in a way that it never was before. Uh, it will be when uh, when things get spicy. Exactly, brother. Well, I know that we could sit here, we could talk all day about this stuff, man. You know, sitting here, sipping a little bit of coffee with you this morning and having this conversation, man. It is a honor beyond words to always have you in here. Thank you, brother. I appreciate being on, man. Like I said, we got to do this a little more often too. We got to. I always have such a good time on the show. We got to. We got to. We got to hit this a little, a little more often. <laughs> That's right, man. We uh, we do a hundred percent. It can't be a year because I don't know, man. The way the way things are going sideways, a year is a long period of time. It gets yeah. gets crossed. It seems like moments. But with no that said, Clay Martin. Clay Martin author of Wrath of the Wendigo, Concrete Jungle, and Prairie Fire. God bless, brother. Thank you for being on. Thank you, brother. Folks, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for being here with us this morning. 
definitely get out there, pick up Clay's books. He's got a mountain of wisdom to share with everybody. Wish all of you uh, a, a wonderful coming into the new year. Keep your heads on a swivel because stuff is going sideways in a hurry. God bless, and I'll talk to you all again very, very soon. This is NC Scout, out. Very high, very high.